that Steph Orton's got her hands on that trophy. Second season running, that she's done so in the colours of Manchester City. Oh, lovely footwork there from Weah! A special goal in a special game from Caroline Weah. That is world class. That is outstanding. A worldie from Weah. Hello and welcome to this muchly anticipated episode of MCW Fancast. I'm Emma, thanks for listening. We're glad to be back and this week we are joined by not two, but three fantastic guests in Jane, Dave and Paul. We'll discuss all the latest news surrounding the club and recent results as we head into a very important run of games. City find themselves back in control of their own fate for next season as focus is firmly set on securing a top three finish to ensure Champions League for next season. There's little time left in this season, but there certainly is so much to play for. Let's jump straight into it. MCW Fancast. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. It's a, a bumper podcast because it's been so long and there's quite a few of us. So let's go around and introduce ourselves. Obviously, we've got Paul. How are you doing, Paul? I'm very well and in, in, in a good good mood at the moment. Uh, things are going really well. Brilliant. And then we've got Dave and Jane. Hi, guys. Hi, Emma. Nice to be back and chatting city as ever. Hi, Emma. Hi, everyone. Hope you're all okay. Plenty to talk about. Uh, We'll just jump straight in. I think, um, firstly, obviously, we've not addressed um, Janine Becky leaving the club, obviously, recently. She leaves City for the NWSL in America for the Portland Thorns. Obviously, disappointing to see her go, but I I think we can all agree as fans that perhaps it was inevitable and on the cards, Paul. Yeah, I mean, you know, for a player of that quality, she wasn't getting the game time. And it's not just the quality of her as a player, it's the quality of her as, as an individual as well. She was a complete pro. But for an Olympic gold medalist, not to be getting you know regular starting positions, I think it was entirely the right decision professionally for her to go. And of course, because she's such a great player and been such a great servant to the club and a great supporter of the fans, you will wish her all the best. And, and I'm sure she'll she'll thrive in America. And uh, you know, good luck to her because she's she's really done a job for us. Yeah, I can only echo that. You can't. You look back at Janine's time at City, and it's you know been amazing. She scored that winner, the penalty winner in the Conti Cup final. She scored in the FA Cup final. She covered in a number of positions, uh, and that's just on the pitch. You know, a presence off the pitch. I'm sure the players will miss her. You've only got to see the um, the social media response from the players when she's left about how much you know how, how much they thought of her, and that, and we all know the fans thought the same about her because she's a very popular player. A very good player, but as Paul said, a very you know a top-notch player who wasn't getting game time at City. It's just you know that happens. I don't think it was a vendetta or anything like that. That just happens at football clubs sometimes. Um, you know the, the players who were in were playing so well. Janine couldn't get a game, and you know she's this stage of her career where she's a top international Olympic gold medalist. She doesn't need to be playing, and uh, obviously we, we wish her so much luck for the future, and uh, hopefully she'll come back as a fan. And support. She says she's going to be City's biggest fan now, following them and stuff. So I've been that already uh, on, on Twitter, yeah. pretty much. So, uh, yeah. You know, it'd be great if she often comes back to Manchester. Uh, we know she's got many ties ties here. So you know, hopefully she won't be a stranger. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think you know, players come and go, kind of 
at your football club throughout your lifetime, but there'll always be those players who kind of become blue through and through through the time here and become really special to fans and stuff. And I think Janine will be one of those that, you know, she'll always support City. Like you see all the tweets with her now and she's watching every game and enjoying it. And I think she'll always be one who the fans always remember really fondly for her time here. Like you say, as a player and as a person. I I love the statement. I thought it was really personable. Uh, like you said, she came as a player, but leaving as a fan, I mean, it, it, it kind of brings tears to your eyes. Signing off with, obviously, quoting Blue Moon and, and Once a Blue, or, uh, Always a Blue as well. And I think for me, Janine Becky has been utterly fantastic. You know, she's given everything to the club. And, you know, I, I think everyone's echoed the same sort of sentiment that we understand her reasons for moving on. Uh, you know, she's an unbelievable person, a, a fantastic character well loved, well liked, and, and I'm sure, you know, if she returns to Manchester, she'll be welcomed at the Academy Stadium. And um, she has left a better player as well for me. I think what's interesting as well with, and I, with the club, and I think it's true of both the men and the women's teams, is that the club are really interested in what sort of people they're recruiting as well as what sort of footballers. You know, are they people that are good team players, will do the work, will listen to the coaches, will develop their skills will understand it's a family club and the fans are critical to that and as Gareth says will they trust the process and I think Janine ticks all those boxes and she's been really important in the transition from the team that was quite dominant uh, a few years ago to the team that's now looking like it might become quite dominant in the next few years so she's been a really really important linchpin and bridge between two teams in transition so for me we wish her all the best she's a fantastic player and I think she'll she'll really tear up that American league yeah Mm. definitely so then on the other hand can we just quash these rumours about Caroline Weir going to Real Madrid please (laughs) (laughs) because obviously there's been a lot of speculation in the media and I and I don't like to usually bring um you know transfers until they're sort of done and dusted into the podcast until they've been confirmed by the club but it just seems like there's just a lot going around at the moment. And at, at the moment, obviously, Caroline Weir, she is a city, city player. And I'm sure that the club are, are working with Caroline to obviously come to some agreement. Without doubt, I am sure there is no, I mean, what was it, 99% that the deal was done? Yeah. I think that's just utter tosh, in all honesty. 99% more likely that, yeah, Real Madrid are interested but there's probably other clubs, you know, that are, are interested too. A player of that quality um, performing as well as she is at the moment, you know, of course there's going to be interest. You know, you get to this time of uh, time of the year, you know, rumours start to fly out, not just, you know, City, with other clubs as well. I, I mean, I'm sure f- for me, you guys will feel the same as I do about this. You know, will I be sad to see her go? Yes. Do I want her to stay? Of course I do. Do I believe the club are doing everything they can to obviously reach an agreement with that player? Absolutely. Will I be delighted if we get that signature on that contract? Absolutely. I'll be buzzing. So let's just get it done. But, you know, when you see things like this, I mean, how does it make you feel, uh, Jane? Um, I mean, you look at Caroline and the performances she's put in this season and do you know what? It's inevitable that people are going to be wanting to sign her. People are going to want her at their club. It's kind of, if you've got those top-notch players, people are always going to come sniffing around them. It's kind of, 
just the the way of the world, the way, you know, top-notch players at other clubs, City will be looking at them and City will be looking at kind of what players we can sign. I I would love Caroline to sign that contract and to stay at the club. But, you know, for her, I suppose she's thinking, you know, there is a big, big wide footballing world out there. But yeah, from my point of view, I will be I will be gutted if she doesn't stay. I would love her to stay, but I can only just keep my fingers crossed. I mean, I've just just before we come on the podcast, I've seen a tweet. I won't name the journalist, but quite a respected journalist in um in the women's game on Twitter. It's like it's there, people can probably see it themselves on Twitter. Um quoting the 99% gone to Real Madrid thing as Tosh. Um he says he's got got it on good authority that no decision's been made yet. I would imagine Caroline will be totally focused on these last few games at City, no matter what, and the cup final, uh, because she's a true professional, and that's what true professionals do. So maybe, Caroline, the tweet I've read this evening suggests Caroline herself hasn't made her mind up. Now, the balance will be offers on the table, because the contract's up for renewal and other clubs. You know, Real Madrid are, are a club that mean business in the women's game, and they want the top players. And Caroline Weir is a top player. Um, you know, she's world-class and those are the sort of players they would want. So, yes, a club like that would definitely be interested in if, if she was available and they may well make offers. That doesn't mean Caroline would take it. Um, she could go somewhere else. She could stay at City. Uh, would I be gutted to see her go Corso because she's a great player? But if she does go, we move on and we would re-sign other players and we've got other players who can come in that are already at the club that are world-class as well. You know, the, the club's what matter, the team's what matter. Uh, but, yeah... And if she did go, we could only wish her well. And and certainly the derbies wouldn't be the same without her, would they? <laughs> but the, uh, the thing is as well, like, we have to remember that sort of like no player is irreplaceable. Um, exactly. You know, it's, it, there's a big market out there and there's some quality players. And, you know, it's all speculative at this point, like with any player. I mean, I remember when we went for a, a period with Kira Walsh, you know, the rumours about her going to, to Leon, and, you mm-hmm. know... It, it, we've been here, you know, and like you say, it's all speculative and, you know, like with anything, when a player comes to, to the end of the contract, but I'm sure the club, um, you know, are in conversation with Caroline and if there's any conversations to be had, they're being had. And I imagine that there's a process uh, and City are working to obviously get that deal done, you know, mm-hmm. hopefully before the summer and before the Euros as well. It's worth it's worth considering that Caroline is one of those players that is rotating around in the squad. She doesn't always start the game, so she's one of those players that they're using in, in a rotational way. To, to to you know now they've got all you know pretty much a full squad back, so she's not necessarily an automatic starter, but she does make a huge difference when she does play because, as Dave rightly says and, and Jane said, she's world class and she's one of those players. She's really kicked on over the last couple of seasons. Um, I think I think she's really responded to the coaching over the last couple of seasons and really kicked on to be a top-class player, not just the worldly goals, which we all remember, but she puts a shift in and she's a quality player. Mm. I think she's probably looking at it and thinking, at, the, at my age, this stage in my career, maybe this is the time to go to Europe to, to try that experience. She may have been talking to people like Lucy as well and, and said, well, what's it like out there? And, you know, what's it like playing in Europe? Is it a different thing? So there's players that around her that have played in, in that environment. So she may be thinking, this is the time in my career, you know, I've got a year left on the contract, it's time time to to try that out. But as, as we've all said, you know, she's she's been a brilliant servant. She'll be one of those always welcome back. 
She scored goals that will be repaid repeatedly on Twitter by City fans because they, you know, those goals are memorable and, and you know wonderful. But good luck to her uh, if she goes. But I hope the club do you know say, look, we want you, we value you, and let's keep you. I mean, in terms of Caroline and her season, I think she's had a relatively quiet first half of the season. I think, you know, all our players have really, if you think about the, the form and the performances and one thing or another, the second half of the season, though, you know, she's she's had some absolute moments of brilliance. And I think, obviously, um, this second half of the season, I think certainly given Kaz something to think about, um, but absolutely, I do want her to stay and, and I hope she does. You know, I, I want to see that deal done. She's a great player and I, I kind of feel we'd miss her if she wasn't within the squad. You would, because as Paul says there, worldy goals and everything, they get everyone knows about them. Um, Scotland fans will know this as well as City fans because they see her like we do a lot. It's our all-round game. is amazing. Now, the game that sticks in my head, she didn't score a worldy goal. She bundled one in off her knee or something. That was Tottenham away. Now, she was excellent that day. That was the week after the derby. You know, she didn't chip one in from 35 yards. It doesn't get all the headlines. But that was such an important goal that day. And her performance that day, she was outstanding that day. And it was almost like that was a different side to Caroline's game. You don't always see when the silky silky skills are coming out and the the 35-yard lobs and stuff, which we all know she's got in her, and that's great to have. But there's the other side as well, where she gets that day, she got stuck in and she controlled that midfielder and she happened to get the winning goal as well, which was, was almost like a close bundled in goal from close in. And um, there's that side of the game. And like I say, the Scotland fans will know this as well because they'll see her play. And, you know, she's got a bit of everything, Caroline. And sometimes that side of the game doesn't get the sort of credit it should do because it's not it's not as glamorous to people. You know, a lot of players suffer with this. You know, you need those players that have got that determination and that, Thing. And she's a bit like like we said about Janine. I think she's, she would leave us a better player than when she came and she was a good player when she came. Um, so, you know, that is credit to the coaching for the last few years because, you, you know, she's got, probably gone from a, um, you know, a top international player to possibly a world-class player, you know. So, because if she wasn't world-class, I don't think someone like Real Madrid, for instance, would be interested in her. So that is to her credit. Yeah. So, yeah, I hope she stays. But if she does go then again, good luck to her because it's been fantastic to be able to watch her every week and uh, she's such a great player. Definitely. Uh, so let's talk about West Ham then. Obviously, another unique situation where we face the team on the bounce, uh, which is a bit rare. Um, but let's talk about the, the semi-final of the FA Cup because obviously City now progressed to the final where we'll face Chelsea. So a huge, massive cup final, uh, another opportunity for silverware. Um, just what did you make of the game heading into it and, and the result itself, Jane? Um, heading into it, I, I never like having to play the same team two games in a row or kind of in a close cluster like that because you never quite, you never tend to get the same kind of game usually. Um, so while I was confident, you know, that we definitely had everything we needed to, to kind of win the semi-final, just having that, that other game close by, it just made me a, li- a little bit nervous. Only as nervous that I wouldn't let anyone sing Wembley till uh, about the 91st minute. <laughs> uh, so whenever anyone tried it a bit earlier on, I had to kind of quiet them down. Was it after um, Lauren's goal or, or was it... Before? Yeah, Lauren's it was. Back. It was when Lauren's goal hit the back of the net. <laughs> yeah. Like, now we can sing it. No, it wasn't. It was about 10 minutes after that. <laughs> um, yeah, but so I was confident, you know, I think we're in a really good vein of form at the moment. Um 
And, you know, this is the business end of the season. Every single game between between now, between then and the end of the season is basically a cup final. It's all must-win games. And I think being in the form that we're in now, you know, we've got all those players back that we missed for so long at the beginning of the season and having them in the squad just gives that that bit of versatility where you can, you know, do you know what? George is not going to start this game. Someone else is going to start and something else is going to happen and the positions are going to be kind of different and, being able to do that and not just being kind of stagnant in the game where you think, well, this is really the only options we've got. Um, so being able to do that, I think, has had a massive effect. Um, and, you know, the performance that day was great. It was a great day out for anybody who was there. Um, yeah, we had a great time, didn't we? It was, uh, you know, lots of good singing and really enjoying being able to get to kind of another cup final. Yeah. Uh, and Chloe Kelly back in the squad, back from injury, back amongst the goals. I mean, she didn't take long. <laughs> no messing about there from Chloe. She was kind of, you know, I'm sure if you spoke to Chloe, she'd probably say, you know, she's got a few steps to go till she's back on her A game and everything yeah. else. But seeing her back on the pitch, doing the kind of stuff that she was doing before, you know, getting the goals, you know, the the absolute joy on her face when she scored that goal. It's it's kind of just so special to be able to see that and to be able to see her back on the pitch after such a horrible injury. Um, and like I say, I'm sure she'd say, you know, oh yeah, I've got a long way to go before I'm back to where I was before. But from a fan's perspective, just seeing her back out there and and doing what she does on the pitch has been outstanding. There, there was a photograph, I'm sure you all saw it online, of Chloe after she scored that goal, where she was literally, her head was back and she was screaming. And that was like a year's worth of frustration had come out, you know, in, in that goal and you could see what it meant to her, you know, because for a player of her quality to have missed a year of her career at this stage, which was so much on top of her game, is a tragedy. You know, there's no two ways about it. So, great to have her back. Well, she, missed, she missed out on the Olympics, didn't she? You know, yeah. and she, she, if she plays like anywhere like she can play, she'll be in the, if we're in the Olympics next time, she'll, she'll be in that squad. But yeah. she'll look back on that with, with some regret, obviously. But, Anyone that comes back from an ACL, you know, you've got to get, you've got to, your heart goes out to them because you know how much hard work has gone back into getting into, in, back into that. Uh, and, you, and you have to see Man United, who's done it again, you know, and she's, yeah. she's going in and, and she was a good player for us. And, you know, we, we wished her well when she left. Um, but, you know, she's done it twice now. And there is some, I think there is some research needs to be done into why we get so many more ACLs in the women's game than, than the men's game. There's clearly something going on. And I know there is some research, but we need a lot more uh, empirical evidence to say, well, why do women on balance get more ACLs than men? And I don't know the answer to that, but there's something very wrong there. Uh, but just returning to the game, it was great to see so many of the official supporters club on the telly. It was almost like you were in the living room with us. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it was great to see that support. And, and like you, Jane, I was a bit twitchy before the game because they're a decent side, West Ham. You know, let, let's be clear, you know, um, they, they weren't going to roll over and and, and and die just because, you know, Man City had turned up. What was great, what I thought was really encouraging is when they pulled the goal back, I think early in the season, we might have panicked a bit. You know, we might have, you know, we might have, you know, struggled a bit, but they just took it in the stride, um, and they were dominant pretty much for the whole game. I thought. I think West Ham had a couple of periods of very good, you know, playing a bit of dominance. But when you can bring Bunny Shaw on for Ellen White, that's the difference now because early in the season it was Ellen and basically no one else or whoever we could get up for and George Stanway at left back. 
because we've got the big squad and can rotate, it must be a sickener when you're looking, you're looking, you're looking, you think, oh God, you know, we've done 70 minutes. And here comes Jamaica's all-time top scorer to join the fray. Or here comes, you know, Georgia Stanway, if she's being dragged on, or here's, here's Caroline Weir. You know, because the other teams don't have the same size squads as us, and that was probably where West Ham um, struggled. And, and you can't legislate for someone like a, a great player like Jilly Flaherty making such a monumental error to, to to give that goal away. But we were the better team, I think, overall, and we deserved to be in the final. And as you say, Jane, we're on a, we're on a really, really good run of form. We, we know there's nothing between us and Chelsea now uh, in terms of form. So... I think it's probably fair to say that in every other final that we've got, we played at, at Wembley, we've gone in as the favourites. We've been the, you know, the the better team, if you will, the one that you would expect to win. I wouldn't want to call this final because both teams are banging form with world class players all over the place. So, you know, it's going to be a really, really good day out at Wembley. It is, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, the West Ham game, like like Paul's just said, I remember sitting in the stands in the second half and seeing the, the substitutes warming up. Mm. And the quality, the quality that we had on the side, like he says, Bunny Shaw was warming up, mm. Ruby Mace was warming up, Angle Dow was warming up, George Stanway, I think, was on the bench that day. And that, you know, to be able to have that quality on, which is we just didn't have those options before Christmas because everyone was injured. Um, it just keeps the team fresh, and what you, you replace quality with quality, and and it, it's showing in, in big games like that. It shows, um, you know, using the squad to its full, fullest. Uh, and I think that's what we did that day. I thought we dominated the game. I thought West Ham played well, but I thought we were the better side. Mm. Uh, and we, you know, we took our chances. There was one mistake, obviously, that cost them a goal, which Chloe capitalised on. Um, but yeah, I thought we were the better side and we deserved to go through. We probably were more dominant in the league game. West Ham probably played better in the cup game than they did in the league game, I think. And that's fair to say. Um, they certainly didn't play bad in either game, West Ham, but City played very well and just continued this form. And it was great to see so many City fans there, as Paul says as well, because obviously we're going to talk about these clashes with men's game. It was the men's semi-final that day, but, um, you know, a lot of people decided to go and support the women. Um, it was really vocal. The BBC might have uh, regretted doing the Kayla Walsh interview right in front of us. That could have been an issue. But, uh... I have to say, Dave, I, w- I was going to put an official complaint via Twitter because I couldn't hear what she was saying because you love it. <laughs> Away. No, well, she just managed fun. to keep a straight face, didn't she? But, uh... Well, it, she was struggling a bit because I think she, I think she was thinking, um, I can't hear what I'm saying either. I can't even hear what I'm saying. But no, I think that shows. I think that just shows the 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 value of of the away support and and the sort of sense of humour that's in still you can still have in the women's game that you're right on top of the players, which you wouldn't get out of the Etihad because you know you'd have to have a megaphone to sort of. You know, yeah. whereas lot were literally three or four yards away, and um, you know, you know, this, this is. I was thinking about this. Um, you know, the adversity that we've had over you know this season, particularly the first half of the season. I, th- I, I look at people like players like Kira and Georgia Stanway, and they've really kicked on this season. They, they've become leaders on the field. They've become, you know, they, they've responded to this to good coaching and the adversity. And they become better players for it. Georgia Stanway this season is dramatically a better player, in my view. Mm-hmm. You know, she used to be a bit of a ticking time bomb, Georgia, you know, discipline-wise, because you thought if she stays on the field, she's done pretty well. 
but she's got massive discipline in a game now. And she, that's no, no, no accident. She's an England regular now. She's in that team by right in a very good England side. And Kira, I mean, she, dear, dear God, she, if she's not the best player in that position in Europe, certainly, possibly the world, she's unbelievable. And, and I can't believe we're watching her week in, week out. I mean, the way she dominates those games is staggering. Yeah, I agree. I think Kira Walsh is, I've said it many times, I think in her position she is the best in the world because I've never seen anyone create space for themselves so easily. That what she, she makes it look easy and it isn't easy. Mm. It's just amazing the way she does it. Uh, she never panics. She she calms the team around her. You know, just give it to Kira. We have a running joke. We always say, stop panicking, Kira. Because it's just, she makes it look ridiculously easy. You mm. know, and, and, and that's what the best players do, you know. City fans will know David Silva used to do the same sort of thing, you know, just made it look so easy. Yeah. And it, we all know it isn't easy. <laughs> so uh, she is, she's absolute world-class. And there is a player that I think might be irreplaceable if we ever lost Kira Walsh, because I think she is the best in the world at what she does. Mm. Um, and she's been out, you're quite right, outstanding. Georgia's matured. I think since the sending off against United earlier in the season, since then, since she's come back, I think she's learned from that. Mm. I think she has been a lot more disciplined in her performances and really stepped up to the plate, as you say, Paul, and, and almost uh, matured as a player in front of our eyes this season, even though she's been around a long time. Um, the same, obviously, can be said of Alex Greenwood, what a leader she's been oh, right oh. through the first half of that season. She held that team together, not just in a defensive way, you know, with an actual football, but, you know, on the pitch as a leader when the others were, were not there. Um, throwing Jill Scott in at centre-half that night, you know, oh. she admitted she'd never played herself, but Alex was alongside her and, you know, talk, she said she was talking her through it. Um, you know, that that, that can't be forgotten, her, her contribution. I mean, I always thought Alex Greenwood was a good player. I haven't realised till this season just how good a player she, she was because she's been outstanding this season for us. I think that's it. Like you get to this point in the season where you are talking about play, players of the season, you know, most improved players. And everyone has got a case. Everyone has got a case, and I, 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 I know obviously the OSC did they do their player of the season, and it has honestly took me a long, like I literally went into the deadline because I couldn't decide who I wanted to to uh, go for. That's how hard one. it has been. You're not the only one there. Jane will tell you that because you're <laughs> counting the votes. Yeah, there was quite a few people like you, Emma, who I think just just took so long to decide the lap. Yeah. Genuinely couldn't decide who to vote for because they had a few candidates in mind. But you know, there have been there have been some kind of top class performances from from players throughout the season. So I can understand where the difficulty comes in. But I can't really talk about it anymore because I don't no, want to give it. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. no, another day that one. That's another day that one. But like you say, I mean, you know, form, momentum, cohesiveness. It's really starting to come together now, and we're starting to see, to see uh, the fruition of, of of all the hard work. The graft is really starting to pay off, and I think there are a lot of positives to carry us to the end of the season. You know, Jane's saying every game's like a cup final, every game's like a must win. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk about the the Leicester game now, which you know we we're in the fight now for this third place finish. We want to obviously secure that Champions League spot for next season. Um, so how big a result, obviously, was it getting that, you know, that 4-0 win at home against Leicester? I mean, you're kind of looking at that game and, and feeling like it's a good opportunity to get a good 
com- comprehensive win, get some goals, uh, and that's just what City went out and did. It's um, it, this every game's a cup final at the moment is is, is, a, is a true statement. But if you remember when we were on the podcast, Paul, a few weeks ago, just before the derby. Uh, in the league, the league derby. We were saying that then. Every game's been a cup final since basically February. You could even say since Christmas. For us to get third place, we've had to win every... I think we've lost once. We lost at Chelsea in the league and we should have got something in that game, if the truth be known. But, um, you know, every game is a must-win game. The derby, as Paul said at the time, was defining. We had to win that league derby. Uh, If United didn't beat us that day, we probably wouldn't have caught them. It would have been too much of a gap. And they would have had that incentive. We did beat them. We got the three points. And since then, every game we've had to win. And so far, we've won them. And also in the cup. Now, if I'd have said, we'd have come on the podcast last October and said that this season, we're going to win the Conti Cup. We're going to be hopefully finishing third. And we're going to be in the FA Cup final. I think they would have had me carted away because it, it, <laughs> it wasn't going to happen, was it? We just couldn't see. There was a point, you know, that night when Arsenal took us apart, we you know it didn't look too good. Um, it had. But, yeah, but, you know, it just shows what football, how football can change and how the mindset can change. And I love the way the players have bought into it. You can see what it means to them. You know, you can see how they bought into the training and to Gareth's methods. You know, they, when they score goals, they run to, they run to him. You know, it's, it's a real, there's a real togetherness there in that squad. You can see it. And I think the adversities of this season have made them stronger and have made them better. And then it comes to games like, you know, like now, like the Leicester game. I don't think that was our best performance against Leicester that, that we've had recently by a long way. I think they've been played better in, in other games. But we won that game relatively easily with, with little pieces of skill and little passages of play rather than, say, total domination of, of the whole 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was more than happy with the performance. Um, I said beforehand, I think we need to be looking to score four or five goals. We, you know, we got four just for that goal difference. Um, and now we've got another two home games coming up as well, which is similar. We need to be lucky. We certainly need the points, six points, uh, with, 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 you know, similar performances. Um, so, yeah, I was very happy with the performances, not like everyone else. I, I, I've said before, Dave, um, on, on previous podcasts, that I felt that the, the standard in the league has, in, has improved. But I felt in the Leicester game, there was a gulf of class between us and Leicester. They could still be playing today and they wouldn't score a goal. They created nothing all afternoon. And when they went one down, they didn't even, they just, they just, nothing changed. They were just doing damage limitation. And I think we'd have took 1-0 earlier in the season. And on after the Leicester game, I think Gareth said, and, and also the players said, they were disappointed only to score one goal in the second half. You know, mm. they were looking to kick on maybe score six or seven because Leicester were very poor that day. We worked great. And I think that's why we didn't score six or seven, but they were poor. I think you're absolutely right. I think that that coming together during the really tough times has made, has shown them a huge amount of respect for Gareth as a coach. And he respects them as players for sticking at it and not giving in, you know, even in the worst of circumstances. And I, what I'm pleased about on this podcast is that although we have talked about Gareth and, and early in the season sort of talked about, you know, was he the right man for the job? We never on this podcast called for his head and we should be proud of that because we gave him the time that he needed and he's delivered because mm-hmm. if, we, if we hadn't had the bad start to the season that we had, it'd be us and Chelsea at the top of the table going into the last couple of games looking to win the league. You know, we're on league winning form at the moment, but we were, we were hamstrung by the early start, to the bad start to the season. 
But as you said, if, if you'd have said to me, I'd have took FA Cup final, Conti Cup, third in the league in, in October last year, I'd have took that all day long. Mm-hmm. I've also would have thought I, I probably need to be carted away as well because it just didn't seem that we had that. We were never going to do that. But for some reason, it's just it's it's so 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 much credit to the coaches and to the players that they've managed to pull it around in such an entertaining way as well because they're playing great football. It's not attritional football; it's good football. It's well worth the admission fees to watch this team at the moment because they're playing lovely entertaining, attacking football. And that's what they're playing in the city where, you know, I watch the men's team, like a lot of uh, people who follow the women's team. I look at, the, they play in the same way. They play out from the back. It's great. Ellie's, and it's it's really important that Ellie's back in the team as well. I think that's made a big difference. But just just just, just finally, I just want to touch on Alex Greenwood. People talk about Millie Bright, and I, I think Millie Bright is a really good player. Alex Greenwood's been far better in every department this season, in 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 a much in a in a team that has struggled. Alex Greenwood has been the best player in that position in the league for me. She's been outstanding all season, and not, normally Kira Walsh would be shooing for Player of the Year, but she's got to be in with shout because she's been so good this season. But as you said, if not just in terms of her footballing ability, but stepping up as a leader. Because I think when Steph got injured and has, has had this long-term injury, we thought, well, who's going to take on that role? Well, there you go, Alex has, has come in. And Alana Kennedy's been brilliant as well. So, you know, and that's because she's playing next to a really good player. Alana Kennedy has been playing very well recently. She's one of those players, when she first came over, she came into a struggling side, um, very hard. I remember she had, a, you know, she had a hard night that night at Arsenal. For the last two, three months, she's settled in. She's got used to the team. She's got used to the way they play. She's got used to her teammates. And you can see that she's settled in. And now you can see this is a player who's got nearly over 100 international caps. This is a top quality player. And we've seen it now, the last few games. She's been excellent. Uh, and, you know, that's that's the player we bought. Confidence, confidence is just flowing throughout the whole team. And, and, and it's worth remembering that Anna Kennedy has to fly back to Australia to play for the Matildas. I don't know if you saw itinerary on, on, uh, on Twitter. Yeah. She's been through about eight airports and about four time zones. Unbelievable. Yeah. And, and then she turns up, having a broken nose, puts the mask on, probably jet lads, and gives, you know, gets in the team. That's the sort yeah. of players that we've got now. You know, those are the sort of players as people and as professionals that we've got at the club, and, and it's just fantastic. I feel like, I just feel like we've, we've really, we talked about turning the corner when it was going to come, and, and now we're sort of, we're, we're proper round the corner now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, we're just on the straight and narrow. And I, I kind of feel like it, we've learned so many lessons. We've had so much time to reflect. Um and you know we've had really fairly consistent seasons and I think you know the start of the season obviously with the Champions League was um has played a massive part I think it dented us um you know a little bit uh, and shunted us a little bit at the start of the season and I, I think we carried that for a little bit as well and I think you know it's made us stronger I think it because we've been so much through so much more as a team. I think it does. I think those moments where things aren't looking good and where kind of, <clears throat> you know, you're really struggling, those are the times that can make or break you as a player. 
And to have that strong unit that we've got, I think it shows a lot about the people who are kind of, you know, the coaches and the staff at the club and the players themselves to be able to pick each other up and kind of rebuild that confidence into themselves. Because, you know, it's not easy when things aren't going well. It's easy to kind of, you know, that's when things start turning negative and you can blame other people and stuff. But to have that kind of mindset of being able to kind of pull yourselves and each other back up to get to the place where we're at now is is massive. And I think it probably goes along with what Paul said before about the kind of people that the club are looking at when they're, they're looking at a player. They're not just looking at who's the best player in this position. They're looking at actually what kind of person is this player? What what will they bring to the team, not just on the pitch, but off it as well? Mm. Absolutely. Uh, I, massively. And I, and I think that reflected in the way we celebrated the Conti Cup as well. Because I think that absolutely translated through the celebrations and and what it meant to the team especially you know hearing and given having those glimpses of the way that Gareth spoke to the team and um you know the way the way the players spoke at the end of the game as well it's so good to see and I and I absolutely believe that these last few games the WSL you know we can win these without a doubt and I, and I definitely think it sets us up well, especially looking ahead to that final two against Chelsea, because we've shown that we can do it and we can play well against them and get the result. And I think it's going to be an incredible day out, a credible occasion. I'm really looking forward to it, especially after COVID and, you know, missing out on obviously the FA Cup final the last time we won it and, and getting there, getting the fans back in the stadium, getting the fans behind the team, and just having that special day. I think I, I think it's interesting in the Conti Cup final because um, I, did, I didn't make it down, but uh, so I was watching it on the box, and they kept cutting to Emma Hayes when when we were you know we were, I think we were two up at the time, and she had a look of utter bewilderment on her face. Good. She couldn't work out. What <laughs> you, you could see it. She was turning away to the whoever we sat next to one of the players, and it was like. I've got a lot of time for Emma and I've got a lot of time for Chelsea. But, you know, it's it's almost like the clock thing, like she's the greatest, greatest, bestest ever coach in the history of the world. She was completely befuddled by what was going on because she expected just to just that game to be relatively straightforward. And we were the better team. And she just didn't quite know what to do. So when we go into the final, there's no doubt she's going to be well prepared. She's no, no doubt they're going to be tactically on it. She's no doubt she's going to prepare to... to to play us because she knows how good we are now. Uh, and equally, we've got to be on it as well. Gower's got to be on it. And if he does something like he did in the County Cup, there's every every chance we could win that win that silverware. But you know, I think for us as, as fans, it's a brilliant day out. But for those players who stood up against Arsenal and got absolute torn to pieces, who played, you know, left back when they were never played. <clears throat> position center half when the last time they played it was when they were 11 players that played all over the park trying the best you know some of the kids that only we had two under 17s that played at one point in, in, in some games you know Keaton who, who came in um you know as, as a 17 year old against Arsenal and did a great job in goal for them surely this is the greatest reward for all that dedication to have a day out at the, at the national stadium and normally we would be we would say well we would expect city to be in a final but this is a massive reward for them and for gareth and the coaching staff and all the people behind the scenes to say thank you very much for not giving up thank you very much 
for doing your best. And thank you very much for being so close to the fans. It's it's their day, and I really hope they enjoy it. And I hope we get a great result as well. There's a few a few points. You know what you say there is completely true. You know, it's going to be a fantastic day out. This season, there was you're talking about like the adversities and stuff. There was one point where we had Keating in net, as you say, and the reserve keeper was uh, young Grace Pelling, who was still at school. She couldn't even train in the week because she was at school. Mm. That's how far the injury crisis went. We were down to like fifth and sixth choice keepers. I was going to say, and... there was one point after that where she was injured as well and the reserve keeper was Georgia Stanway. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, this is where, well, as Paul said before, we never call for Gareth's head because you tell me, if Emma Hayes had had that injury crisis, Chelsea would have struggled. Yeah. They Arsenal, that, they, that was an unbelievable injury crisis. Anyone would have struggled. With that, I mean, there was like a whole team and a half missing. His options were were not there. And this now would be a reward. But I just think as fans, we're all looking forward to it and it's great. But I think the players, they do need to focus first. And they will do. Wembley's in the bag. Wembley's there. We're going to Wembley and that'll take care of itself. We do need to focus on these three league games now because we've worked really, really hard to get where we are now as we sit here now with this chance of finishing third, which is Champions League football. We've got to make sure we see that over the line now. We've got three league games. We've got Brighton. We've got Birmingham at home. Brighton and Birmingham at home. And then we go to Reading. Reading can be a funny side. Reading can be a tough day. I've been to Reading. We've seen Reading. They beat us at home. You know, Reading are one of them teams who can turn it on on the day. I've seen they beat Chelsea this season, Reading. You know, so we need to just stay focused on the league games as well. And I'm sure they will, because we're talking about top professionals there and everything. We're all, we're, all, we're, all, we're all booking coaches and tickets for Wembley, and rightly so, we're looking forward to it. But I really want them to see this, this league season through now, because as Paul says, they deserve it. They deserve to get this third place. They, they've come from nowhere, basically. Mm. The togetherness and the determination of, of some of the players that have been there through the injury so that has dragged us into the position we're in now where we've got a chance. In fact, we're in the driving seat, let's face it. Um, it's up to us. It's in our own hands, which we, you know, that's all you can ask for at this stage of any season when you get to the real business end of the season. If it's in your own hands, you know, you win your games, you can, you can do it. That's all you can ask for. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we should underestimate Brighton either because they started they started off really well this season and they were looking like they might go top three, you know, and and, and they're a decent team. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we did batter them down there 6-0, but it, that was a bit of a freak result. I'm not quite sure what happened there. So they're not going to be easy. As you said, Dave, Reading are always, it's like Spurs in the men's game. You don't know which Reading is going to turn up. Um, and you would expect to beat Birmingham. You know, there's no gimmies in this league because they're fighting for their lives as well. So, but I do expect... If we if we continue to play in the way that we're playing, I would expect to win those three games. And I think that the players consciously now think we haven't come this far to fall at the final hurdle. We we we've, we've dragged ourselves literally, as you said, Dave, from nowhere in back into the Champions League positions. And a lot of the players that have come into this team, the likes of Ricky Lasoda and, and others, have come to play Champions League football. So they've got an incentive now to kick on, do the job get that third place and then I, I have a day out where, you know, anything can happen in the cup final. But I, I, I think, I think, I think this is going to be one of the all time great cup finals. I mean, I might be in the jumping, you know, it might be the dullest game in, on, in history. These two teams, these are two teams who want to play. These are two teams that go at it and there's quality. There's not a weak player on that, on either side. 
So this is going to be a, a, a potential, a, a, you know, could be it could be low scoring, it could be a four three, could be a six six four or something, you know. And, and what an advert for the game! They sold thirty thousand tickets already. It's, it's likely to be a record crowd. So, but that, that that brings us naturally, doesn't it, Dave, into a subject I think you want to talk about, which is clashes. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's been issues highlighted surrounding recent clashes <laughs> games, and it's becoming e- increasingly frustrating. For not just City fans, but uh, women's, you know, football fans in general, you know, other clubs are expressing their concern, and today players as well. What more needs to be done? Um, they need they need to start listening to to the the issues that fans are facing because it's not just every other week. This is this is every week now. It seems almost as if they think that by they I mean the FA, the TV companies. Sometimes even the clubs, they're, they're, they're part of this. That the fans are exclusive. You've got your men's fans and you've got your women's fans. That isn't the case at any club that I know of. There are fans of both. There are fans of the club. So, you know, so we have, you know, for instance, amongst our women's supporters, many people have men's season tickets, which, as you know, cost a hell of a lot of money. And, and these clashes, that forcing fans loyal fans to choose which of the teams to support uh, for big games. Now, as you say, Emma, today, we're recording this on Thursday, this evening, Chelsea's men are playing and Chelsea's women are playing at the same time. And Chelsea tweet, tweeted out a thing advertising both the games as a big, like, like a big thing. Oh, what a great night, Blue Night. And one of their players has highlighted the issue of forcing the fans to change. It's the goalkeeper, as it's on Twitter for everyone to see, has highlighted that it is an issue. And inevitably, it will be the women's game that suffers in, in these situations. And if we ever want, in, this is my opinion, if we ever want this country to get anywhere near the levels we've seen, say, over in Barcelona, which is going to take a long time anyway, if things are done right. But if we ever want to get those sort of crowds or grow the game at a natural rate in this country and grow crowds, it's great to have these big showcase games like we had at the Etihad and like Spurs have had at their stadium every now and then and get 30,000. That's brilliant. But we need, you know, we want a natural steady growth of, of, of like for us, the Academy Stadium to be slowly increasing and hopefully one day be full on a regular basis. That's the sort of thing we're aiming for. And if we want that to happen, we, they cannot keep continually, in my opinion, damaging their own product, which is what they do with these clashes. And these ridiculous scheduled kickoff times, which mean that, you know, we're playing at the other end of the country on Sunday nights and Sunday mornings, just so it doesn't clash with men's TV in on a Sunday afternoon and things like that, the same team. Now, the biggest example of it recently has been the semi-final weekend when we played West Ham and the men's team played Liverpool at Wembley at the same. You couldn't do both. It was, it was virtually impossible. They didn't quite overlap, but, you know, you just couldn't do it. Uh, and then there's, on the Sunday, the Chelsea fans had the, the two semi-finals. They had their men's and women's. Now, an easier way. I'm not saying these clashes can always be avoided, but there was a prime example where they could have done by switching us to the Sunday and Chelsea to the Saturday. Both teams could have gone to, you know, both fans fans could have gone to both games, and it would have increased the crowds mm. at the women's semi-finals for both those teams. And that's their product. That's they've got a fantastic product, the WSL and the, and the women's FA Cup. And if you're damaging it the way they do it, in my opinion, it, it, it's madness. And that's why most teams, I think, I believe their average crowds are going down, not up, um, to what they were, say, four or five years ago, when we had a summer league and things, you know, that changed to the winter league and things like that. There's been a, a hard sell as it is. 
But the fact that we're alienating so many fans and having to in having to make that decision to choose between you know their their team or you know it, it's just not right and and like you said I, I remember you know when we first started doing this podcast you know if if they support Man City regardless of if it's the men's team the women's team if they had a, a volleyball team like they'd want to go and support the team in in any way shape or form and the fact that we we're facing these issues so much more often now with obviously the broadcasting issues the scheduling issues in a in a very tight scheduling of games anyway where we've got you know we've seen quick turnarounds in games and uh, you know we're having to obviously rearrange for postponed fixtures and and there's just so many mitigating factors but the fact is they just don't think first and foremost about the fans they don't. Now, the next four women's games, City women's games, this isn't just a City problem, by the way. I appreciate that completely. Yeah. I spoke to Chelsea fans online today. They've got yeah, exactly the same problem. Yeah. Um, everyone's everyone's had yeah. issues. West Ham, I did the other year in the cup final. They wouldn't move yeah. their men. You know, I appreciate this isn't a City problem. This is a, a problem for the, the whole game, the women's, the women's game. But the next four... In general as well. Yeah. The next four City women's games all clash with men's games including the FA Cup final, the men are at West Ham at the same time. I, I just, I cannot understand why they allow it to happen on such a regular basis. If anything, it's getting worse. It's happening more than it's ever happened since, I, I'm going to say it, since, since Sky took over this season, it's got worse, yeah. without a shadow of a doubt. There is an irony in all of this, because Sky is saying that they are very pleased with the TV figures. The, the TV figures have been far bigger. I think they're averaging about 150,000 viewer figures per game. So you can assume that the bigger the bigger matches will be getting quite big numbers and the, some of the smaller teams might be getting less numbers, but 150,000 is a decent spread. But then they're making it very difficult to convert the armchair fan into the game because if you're a City fan and you go to the men's game and you've got a season ticket and the clashes between that and the women's game, it's a no-brainer that you're going to go to the men's game with your season ticket because you paid for it. And culturally, and for a long time, you've never really thought about the women's game. And if we want to go to the women's game, the reality is that we have to attract people who go and watch the men's teams to come across and start, like we have done, supporting both teams. And... If you make it difficult by making the men and the women's team either at the same time or impossible to get to both or going to Arsenal on a Sunday night for an eight o'clock kickoff, then you will not grow the game in the way that we need to grow it like Barcelona have. We, you know, we'll still have 1,500, 2,000 fans on in, in a decade's time. You've got to make it easy for people who are now looking at a really good product, as you say, Dave, in the women's game, high-quality products, to go from watching it in the men's game to watching it in the women's game. And that's where you'll get the bigger numbers. And we're just making it really, really difficult for people. And that's that makes no sense business-wise. And it also means that our women professionals will never get paid what they're due for the quality of their performances until we can get bigger crowds in. Bigger crowds means more money for the players as well. So for me, 
we've got to get this sorted out because it's a joke. And as you said, Dave, the classic example was why not switch the two women's semi-finals so you can go to both? That's common sense and it's good business sense. But you know, and even if there's some issues around availability of the grounds, you can work around that. You know, there's there's ways you can get around it. You know, when when we get to this end of the season, you know, you can fit fixtures in relatively easily. I think. But I just think it's mad. I don't understand it. it. We're never going to grow the game. We're never going to convert people who watch it on telly to come to live football. We're never going to convert uh, people who watch men's football to come and watch women's football unless we make it easy. We c- we have to stop these stupid eleven thirty kickoffs and eight o'clock and you know on a Sunday night when you don't get home till three in the morning. That's not how you grow a you know a regular support. And as Dave rightly says, it's not just us. It's it's every club is in the same boat. Thing is as well, there's a lack of transparency. You know, if if we were able to have these conversations and actually hear maybe the reasons why as to why this happens, then maybe there could be, a, 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 you know, we could have a better understanding as fans, as supporters, and not have to, you know, take to Twitter, take, you know, have conversations or you know try and have the consultations and fan consultations and the fan led reviews with the FSA and, you know, clubs and, you know, the FA itself. But, you know, just to get the clarity on the matter would just be a little bit easier, surely. Well, you'd think so. But, I mean, I think the problem is, as kind of, you know, Sky have come in and they've paid a lot of money for these games, so they will dictate where they go. And, you know, as long as Sky have been in football... um. I think it's the match day fan, the match going fan who has who has suffered more with those kind of kickoff time. I always think football's quite habit forming. The more you go to games, the more you want to go to games, and the more you want to kind of be involved in that. But if your kickoffs are up, down, up, down, here, there, and everywhere, and people don't know where they stand, you know that kind of stops them getting into that habit of coming and getting into that habit of of wanting to go to the game every week. Because this week it's at half eleven on a Saturday, and next week it's at quarter to eight on a Sunday and the week after that it's at two you know people kind of don't know where they stand so they don't get into the routine of making making it a part of the life and a kind of a part of their weekend wanting to go to the match so I think that does have an effect on it as well and it's you know we 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 we, we build football as women's football as a family activity don't we where it's family focused you know if if you've got young kids and even at home eight o'clock is quite late you know, you're not going to get home until, what, 10, 11? There's yeah. no way you're going to take your kids away at that time. You know, it, it's about being practical. Um, I, I think what's happening here is I think that the, the, the WSL has become a little bit of a victim of his own success because I think we forget sometimes that the professional professional women's football is, is a relatively new phenomenon in this country. You know, in terms of, you know, a fully professional women's league is a rel- relatively new thing. And now we've got much more interest from the media and, and then much more interest, I think, generally in the country for, for after the World Cup and with the Euros coming. Now's the time to, to take stock of how we organise the game, how we schedule the game, because there's a massive danger here, isn't there, that we have the huge bounce of the Euros being in this country Hundreds of thousands of people come along to women, you know, to international women's football in the summer, and then think, right, I really like that, I enjoyed that, great atmosphere, family friendly, great football, 
I want to go and support my my team or start to support my local team. And then all this nonsense starts. Mm. And you think, you know, eight o'clock on a, on a Sunday night when your kids have got to go to school the next day, away fans having to travel back at three in the morning, clashes all over the place. As you said, Jane, timings, all you know, match day timings all over the place. You don't get in the habit, you don't get in the rhythm. So it's a danger of marching all of these fans up to the top of the hill in the Euros and then marching them all the way back down again because they just can't connect with the game. And that would be criminal if they did that. That's exactly what they did do after the 2015 World Cup. There was a massive surge of interest. I remember we played Birmingham at home and got a big crowd, didn't capitalise on it. And after the last World Cup, admittedly since that World Cup, also COVID hasn't helped as well. So we'll, we'll cut them a bit of slack on that. But you're right, Paul, there's going to be a... There's going to be a huge surge of interest after the Euros. It's a home tournament. You know yeah. what I mean? And, it just, and those players that everyone sees on the television in the summer and at the grounds are going to be in our, a lot of them are going to be in our leagues. And you're going to get a lot of new fans. Let's capitalise on it and make like like you said before the the thing they've got to do they've got to make it easy. You cannot you can't compete with men's football in terms of your, your support. Because obviously, as you say, women's football is still relatively new. You've got to, you've got to fit, uh, cut, cut your cloth accordingly. I think for now, and grow at a natural rate. Now, I'm not on a witch hunt for Sky. Sky do do some good things. I can tell, for instance, this season. I go to the men's games and I sit with some lads. Last year, they used to say to me, "How did the women get on last week? How did the women get on last week?" And I tell them, this year they know how the women have got on because it's a lot more visible. They say, oh, I saw the women won. I saw you on the, you know, I saw the team on the telly. I saw, saw the fans on the telly. So um, it is more visible. You know, they're doing a good job in publicising it in that respect. So, on, and, and as you say, they're getting good viewing figures on, 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 on the matches, which that's great. But, you know, we don't want empty stadiums. We want people to go to the games and, and it, for, for it to be a family. It's a different sort of experience to go to a men's game. I go to both, so I can I can say that from experience. It is a different experience. Um, it is more family-friendly in terms of you get families sat together. Um, it doesn't have the, you know, the, the language. And I think it's just a different experience. And that's another great selling point. On top of that, we've got some of the best players in the world in our league to go and watch at a more affordable rate for families, much more affordable rate than it is in men's football. Uh, that's just another fact. So this is what I, I've, I've sent emails and tweets to the FAWSL and to the Vitality Women's FA Cup um, addresses just to ask them, can we have conversations about this? But they, unfortunately, they haven't got back to me. Well, I think we need the clubs to do it. And, and, and hopefully, I was really pleased to see a player call it out today. A player say exactly what we've all been thinking. It's something that obviously you see the fans very vocal, very active, you know, on sort of social platforms, highlighting the issues. But, you know, to see a player come out and do it, yeah, it just gives it a, a bit more leverage to the, to the argument. We, we know Chelsea fans have the same issue for a fact. We know, Le- I talked talk to Luke and Leicester fans, have, he has it on a weekly basis almost, Luke. At Leicester, we know Arsenal have had it. We know West Ham had it with the FA Cup final the other year when they asked them to move the men's league game slightly um, a couple of hours so they could attend, and they wouldn't do it. Mm. Um, it's, I, I just don't. I don't understand a business that's got such a great product damaging itself so much on a regular basis. I understand that you'll still get some clashes. Of course, you will. 
you can't you can't eradicate them all. I'm not I'm not expecting no. a, a fix everything in, by waving a magic wand. But there have been instances, and the semi-final being a highlighted one, when it could have been avoided. Definitely, it's, it's oh. the volume, isn't it? It's the volume of clashes that's the problem. Yeah, yeah, and it's think, getting worse. And also, you need to you know we need to be cannier. I mean, there's been the odd occasion where the the, the women have played. I think either before or after the men. I think before the men's game. Uh, you know, and it, we've got the perfect setup to do that. To have the women play at say midday and the men play in the afternoon, and you will get more people coming to both games because they'll think, well, we'll make a day of it. We'll make a day of it. We'll go at the women's game first, and then we'll go at the men's game. But if if they're sort of separated by you know, and because the women's season is 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 not quite as intense. There's quite a big gap sometimes between games. And, and as Jane says, you don't get in a rhythm at all. We need to attract people into the game from all parts of the game because all of and I go I go both. Um, but if I'm if I'm brutally honest, and I'll be honest on this, if it was a choice between go to see the men and go to see the women, because I've got a season ticket, I'm go at the men's. But I don't want to be in that position. I want to be in the position to do both. And it's not beyond the wit of man to work it out so that we can have a, the maximum opportunity to support both our men's team and our women's team. As you say, Emma, and you were absolutely right. If there was a City women's volleyball team, I'd probably go and watch that as well, you know, because... That was good, it, that, not it? Well, it just sounds weird. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not a bad suggestion because we've got plenty of indoor space at the... Uh, at the yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's, it was about the brand. And I think, I think Dave, you, know, you made a really interesting point there, didn't you? When you said last season, the lads you sit with at, at the at, at the Etihad sort of said, "How are they getting on?" Right, and then this season they said, "Oh, I watched them on the telly, or yeah, it's it, very or, noticeable." Yeah, I saw it on Twitter or whatever. You know, I saw the highlights, saw the goals, great. How how do we then convert that interest from this season? We've sort of seen the goals, we, we know how they're getting on to actually being in the ground. What how you don't do it? is by doing stupid scheduling or stupid times or clashes. You make it, as you say, Dave, as easy as possible to get to the women's game. Because that, that's the answer. That's the answer. I understand, that you, like I say, you can't do it all in one foul suit. There will still, it will still happen where City men will be away, say, when the women are at home. And but, but it's definitely getting more. And they need to really have a think about these kickoff times because we run coaches, OSC run coaches to away games, as you know. Now, if we're at London at half 11 on a Sunday morning, we, we've got to set off at five o'clock. Now, people can't get to the pickup points at that time on Sunday morning. They haven't, they're on a coach because they haven't got travel. They can't drive, even they can't get, you know, it just makes everything more difficult. And there's certain games we've not been able to run coaches to this season for that very reason. Mm. Otherwise, with a runner coach, it, it, it's really noticeable this season. And that is because. Sky want a game at half 11, so it doesn't clash with their men's TV games at 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock. And then they have a game at quarter to, as you say, quarter to 7 at night as well. But and you've got the issue there of getting back at 3 o'clock and not being able to get home and, and you're alienating your families. Well, the, the, the thing is, Dave, the reality is if you're leaving, if your coach is leaving your pickup point at 5, you're getting out of bed at the very, at the very latest 4 o'clock in the morning. Mm. Now you'll do that, and Jane will do that, and you know a coach full of OSC supporters will do that, and that's that's brilliant. But your casual fans not going to do that. The person no. who's a bit like that about it, they're not going to do that. 
And equally, you know, on, on Saturday, we're at 11.30 kickoff. There's no, hardly anyone in the, who watches the men's game who, who, who would think of 11.30 kickoff. It would be so out of their experience. They wouldn't even pick up on it. They th- and they think, oh, that's a bit strange. We need to just get it so that it's easy for people to enjoy both experiences and we will build crowds because I'm, I'm convinced there's lots of people at the Etihad who would come to the women's game if we made it easier. And it's to, and it's not like the club's not trying. They are trying and, and it is one club and all of that stuff. But there's a disconnect somewhere. And the disconnect is it's not easy enough for people to make the, to make the leap because I can, I can guarantee you when they've made the leap, they'll continue to watch both. Once they experience the the academy, watch the world class players, enjoy the experience, they'll want more of it. We've got we've got the clash on Saturday in terms of they're on the same day. Uh, the men are at tea time at Leeds, so some people I think they're going to be able to make that one. That's just lucky. But then next week we've got Birmingham at home the same night as the Champions League. When everyone wants to watch that, either if they're going or it's on the telly. Newcastle men are at home the following week and the same day the girls are at Reading for the decisive game and then you've got the cup final so that's four on a trot that all clash with men's games it's madness and as I say it's not just City I know that because Chelsea have got it tonight you know but it's uh, it definitely is looking at definitely otherwise it won't grow it won't grow it's as simple as that and you know we've got a unique opportunity come the summer Euros and we've got to say full advantage bring to to stadiums, to grounds, you know, in the women's game, you know, because there will be an interest. Hopefully crowds will increase, you know, and and we need to work towards that average uh, average attendances and, and building from there because, you know, it's not about filling stadiums. It's just about seeing that increase, which, you know, has, hasn't been great, obviously, since the, the, the impact of COVID, um, you know, it, it's it's not been a great season for numbers this season, especially you know if you're just looking at us, but you know other other clubs as well. I think we've all felt the impact of that, and it's a good opportunity to to you know take the positives and, and get fans back in uh, the stadiums. You know, come the start of the season. But isn't it isn't it ironic that attendances have gone down? At the same time that the quality of the football across the league has gone, gone up, up. Yeah. Yeah. so what does that tell you about not getting it right? You know, mm-hmm. you've had high-profile international games and tournaments, high-quality football, a fully professional league now where the quality is markedly improved. The product, as you say, Dave, because it is a product, is so much better, and yet attendances have gone down. You can't just put all that down to COVID. It's because we can't grow the game in enough numbers to soak up any of the COVID issues. But also, you know, just to get up to, say, 3,000 would be a target for us as a club. Or 4,000. You know, Chelsea may be, you know, a slightly bigger ground to play at. We've got a capacity, I think, at the, at the uh, <coughs> what is it, 8,000, something like that-ish. That should be our aim to fill that ground. And that's not that's not impossible. That is very very doable you know 30 the question that we have to ask ourselves i think is where are the twenty-eight thousand people that were the etihad for the derby where did they go yeah. why didn't they then go why didn't a significant proportion of them 
then go literally across the road? It's it's, it's a big question that because thirty one thousand for the derby, I think surpassed everybody's yeah. Yeah. thoughts. It was a fantastic crowd. Yeah. The very next couple of weeks, next home game, we were back to the normal. It didn't have a knock on effect at all. Now there are going to be this this surge after the Euros. I'm pretty sure most clubs. We'll, we'll ride that wave in August when the weather's nice and I wouldn't be surprised to see them all playing at the main stadiums again. I wouldn't be surprised to see us have another game in the Etihad at some point. I would imagine it, it will happen. And that's great. It's a showpiece. That, that is, that's a good thing, especially you know, to get 31,000 was amazing. Yeah. But as you say, that isn't the, the long-term aim. As Emma says, the long-term aim is to grow it at a natural rate. Oh, and hopefully, yeah, yeah. And hopefully... <laughs> Build and build and build and get three thousand, four thousand in the academy. Yeah, that's that's the answer. But we don't know. We that's 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 the ultimate game. But we don't know how to do it by the looks of it because it didn't happen it after just, the Etihad game. It's just with hopes now that obviously with the issues that have been expressed that the FA do take it on board and come the summer, you know, they have the conversations and look to obviously address it in some way, shape, or form come the start of the season and hopefully we'll see less of these sort of issues arise um i mean i know it's going to be difficult for those fans and obviously having to choose isn't isn't great but i mean like you said we've we've all enjoyed some fantastic football this season and and i know the osc have got some great away days traveling uh down to reading and down to obviously wembley and i know you've got a bit of information about that as well we have indeed. We've got coaches going to Reading and to Wembley that they are now full at the moment. They are totally booked up. If any spaces, if people drop off at any point for any reason, or, or keep an eye on our social media uh, and, and we'll obviously open it back up again. Um, I know the club are running the coaches to Wembley as well. So if you have a look on the um, on the website, on the ticket page for the, for, for the cup final, the, the tickets that are up, also on there is a link to the travel where you can book a coach and go go with think, the club. So just on that, Dave, I think if you once you book your tickets, you're you, you're then sort of allowed to then book your coaches. So right. I think that's yeah. how it works. So that's 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 good. We want as many there as, as as we can get. We want to support the girls on the day. You know, we'll all we'll all be in the in. The, I think we're in the West End. Is it Jane? The West the West yeah. side of the Wembley. Um, once we know for sure where our OSC group booking is, if anyone wants to come and sit with us, I'll put it all over our social media so you know which blocks we're in. And, uh, you know, come and join us and let's make some noise and get behind the girls because, you know, we're going to lose some fans that are going to be, as we just said, going to be watching the men at West Ham. So everyone that's at that Wem- at Wembley, let's make some noise, get together, cheer the girls on and hopefully uh, bring that cup home. So it's going to be a special day. Can I just thank as well the OSC for for all all that you do and 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 it makes a huge difference even for us, for armchair fans to see you lot chanting and and uh, getting behind the team. It just shows that uh, what we can do um, as 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 a collective. Um, so your what you do is is noted by all of us. So thank you for that. It's very much appreciated. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, you know, the fans who are in the stadium always do a great job kind of trying to get behind the team. And I always say the more the merrier. If you're there and you're worried about singing, don't be, just join in, get behind them, sing as loud as you can. And yeah. uh, just don't sing, appreciate it. Just don't get stuck next to the drum if you can avoid it. <laughs> uh, well, I'm saving the seat for you. I'm saving the seat for you next to the drum. Yeah. No, but it, it is it is a great opportunity for us at Wembley to 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 sing our hearts out and um you know and really get behind the team because 
it's going to be a fantastic showpiece for the game and and for the for our clubs as well. Because wait, wait, till, wait till you see Emma at Wembley. Hey, wait, hey. Oh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> 2.0. Not even <laughs> She's got a man city suit all sorted and everything. Oh, She's yeah. Go top hat and all of that. Yeah. I mean, she, she was oh. bad enough at the Conti Cup final, but she oh. goes up another level at Wembley, don't you, Emma? Oh, honestly, best day ever. If, if, you, if you ever see, a, if there's a pitch invasion, it might well be Emma's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest, it probably will be, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> they won't even let me on the bus now if they hear <laughs> Um, But yeah, no, I, I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to this run of games now and, and to finish the season with a Cup final at Wembley, like you said, come up, you know, if it is said that halfway through the season, that had just been the ultimate kind of dream. But to be able to do it now and have the opportunity is just amazing. Win, lose or draw. Well, we can't draw it, can you? It's cup final, but win or lose, to get to Wembley, we're going to win anyway. What are we talking about? Oh, yeah, that's what I, like. <laughs> yeah. I had so much confidence in the, in the county cup. And, and I absolutely believe we can do it again. Why not? <laughs> but it's been great talking to you all tonight. Uh, obviously, we've we've touched on all, uh, a lot because obviously we've, we've not been uh, with, around with the podcast. I've just been so busy. Uh, but yeah, I think we've fit it all in. And if we haven't, uh, yeah, get in touch and let me know and we'll, we'll drop whatever it is we've missed in, in the next one, which hopefully will be next week. But thanks, Dave. Thanks, Jane and, and Paul for your time tonight. Cheers. See you at Wembley. Thank you. Great to chat. Nice one, guys. Thank you. I'm Lauren Hemp and you're listening to MCW Fancast. And that's it for this week's episode. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks to Jane, Dave and Paul for joining me on this week's show. Thanks also to Charlotte who's been on editing duties for us this week. We'll be back next week and we'll be back in the stadium on Saturday for our next home game against Hope Powell's Brighton and Hove Albion. Kickoff is 11.30am. And we hope to see many of you down there getting behind the team. As always, if you've got something to say or would like to come on the podcast as we come toward the end of the season, drop us a message. It's always great to hear from you. And we want to feature more of your views, more of your thoughts on the season as we come toward the end. You can find us on our socials at MCW Fancast. Or just come and say hello to us at any of the games. We look forward to seeing many of you down there at the Academy Stadium on Saturday. Enjoy the bank holiday weekend, everyone, and have a great week. Bye.